Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, y'all. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is your scripture study class. We're so happy that you are here. We go through the Book of Mormon this year. We've been through all the books of scriptures on Don't Miss This, but this year it's the Book of Mormon, and uh, we just kind of point out things we think you don't want to miss. It's all broken up into just different little segments if you'd like to take it just like a little day at a time. Otherwise, you can just sit and or walk and or ride and row or whatever you're doing right now and listen. You're on a boat now. <laughs> Surprise. No, I was just thinking about the rowing machine oh. at the gym. Or on a boat. What if you Whatever you want. We yeah. can go anywhere. It's a podcast. <laughs> we can just do. Because I was thinking that because I just watched the movie Boys in the Boat. I, I, that's what I was thinking Highly of. recommend. This episode's actually sponsored by them. And, <laughs> but they, um, I rode while I listened to that movie. And you were so inspired. I mean, I listened to the book, not the movie, the book first. And you I probably rode so much. Did I, you? I feel like I helped him win. Yeah, like, you don't were, take that from you me. You were sort of an Olympian. Don't take fine. that from me, but that's what I feel about it. Anyways, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, happy that you're watching or listening. So happy to have you a part of this um, study of this fantastic book of scripture, the second third, whatever, another story of, I started listening, oh, I was like, wait, second, like the Bible, I was like, oh, there's old and the new. And the new. All of a sudden, um, who knows that number? This, this uh, additional witness of Jesus Christ and what he's like, and if you, a couple weeks ago we talked about this, and we really want to get this up on our Instagram, so get the, get on that, David, but um, <laughs> just this idea of where are you finding the Lord in these pages? What are you seeing him doing? What is, what's happening there and say something about the sticky notes right now because that's right in line with that idea they are one of my favorite things ever they're so small it's a good news brand product and it's just like it's legit the size of a sticky note and there's one for every single week actually of the study that follows along in the same study that we're doing and every single one just says one thing about god God is a God of second chances. God forgives you. God is good. God loves you. All of these things that it almost just trains me to remember that that's what I'm looking for right, when I read. Right, that right, it's actually a book about God. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So those you can find at goodnewsbrandco.com. But you probably, they're on pre-order. They launched today. I know, I was just out. trying to think. You know, yeah. they're all gone. So, but we're getting more <laughs> if any of you are interested in those. But they that's, could be coming yeah, soon. that's we the idea. Know. In the journal, keep track of Tender Mercies or somewhere else. We've got the post, everything. We're just trying to like think through what are we learning about God in each lesson. Which is so thrilling that there's so much to discover. It makes me so excited to read. I, I 100% agree. Like you were posting that on your stories the other day about that. That you just keep finding more and more things about him in there. Yeah. And I just feel like right before we push record, like I can't even remember what it was. I hope it comes up in the lesson, but there was something <laughs> that I was like, wait, that's so cool. Anyways, yeah. we're calling today Much Good. It's 2 Nephi 3 through 5. And let's start with our, our first breakup of the, of the reading, which is 2 Nephi 3, 1 through 10. This is your second week in a row that has small amounts of chapters. So kind of lucky. Yeah. Gear up. Gird your loins because the Isaiah chapters are coming. So <laughs> This is your relax. Yeah, this before. is just like, whew, have a rest before you get in. But 2 Nephi 3, um, this is kind of a unique chapter, and it's really neat. 
um, the way that it's structured. So you've got Lehi and he's talking, you see in verse one to little Joseph, his baby, his little last born, who also, you remember like Jacob was born in the wilderness of mine afflictions. In the days of my greatest sorrow did thy mother bear thee. And, I, and it makes me want to think about Joseph being this tender mercy to Lehi and Sarai because he just brings up, those were the days of my greatest sorrow. I was never sadder in my life than those days that you were born. Not because you were born, but then he comes and it feels like he becomes their tender mercy. And he says, and may the Lord consecrate also unto thee this land, which is a most precious land for your inheritance and for your seed forever in it. And, and it makes me, that's a word we normally think about us consecrating something to God. And so I was really interested in, I looked up that 1828 dictionary definition that's, and it says to make or declare something to be sacred to appropriate to sacred uses and to set apart. And it's it's thrilling to me that God does that for us, that we can consecrate things to him, but that God also consecrates experiences and places and relationships. And he turns them into something sacred. He took Lehi's sorrowness and turned it into something sacred. And I think Lehi's teaching that to his son, that he can do that for you all the days of your life. And that he was never forgotten. He was a littler brother. Obviously, sometimes that happens if you're the youngest in a family, but also born to a dad that obviously was struggling, mm-hmm. that was going through it at that time. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, I wonder what type of dad Lehi was to him. And I love that at the end of his life, he's going to look and he's going to address it and he's going to say, listen, I know that I was in great sorrow. For a lot of your life, it was hard. We really were going through it. But just so you know, you weren't forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Then he gives him this, almost this now forward. You weren't ever forgotten and you won't be in verse three. This uh, wish of every parent, may the Lord bless thee forever. Lehi knows that he's leaving and it's almost like a departing wish, a departing blessing on him. And Lehi believes it's possible because of what he's about to teach, I think. So hopefully we come back to that full circle in this section. Uh, this is the way that the, the, there's this chapter set up where Lehi is talking to baby Joseph about Joseph of Egypt, who was prophesying about Lehi and Joseph Smith. <laughs> so think in timeline, you have, ah, well, go to the next screen and let me show you this. And if you're just listening, listen. So you have Lehi and Joseph who are talking about Joseph of Egypt. So timeline-wise, Joseph of Egypt was first, and he is going to prophesy about Lehi, and he's also going to prophesy about Joseph Smith, right? And that's written on the brass plate. So Joseph of Egypt writes on the brass plates. Lehi is reading from the brass, brass plates to little Joseph, and he's it includes prophecies about Joseph Smith. So that can get super confusing <laughs> because look all throughout this chapter, if you're seeing on the screen, I've just kind of highlighted words like he and him and he and his and mine and me and I, and sometimes the name Joseph, or it'll say things like that seer. And it gets confusing, like who, wait, who is it? So one time I went through and I just took four crayons or colored pencils and assigned a color to um different Joseph. So you got Lehi's Joseph, Joseph of Egypt, Joseph of New York. It felt fitting to match him with <laughs> Joseph of Egypt like that. And then Joseph Smith Sr. gets a little 
shout out in this as well. And I went through and I just highlighted, and it's kind of a, a fun thing to do in your scriptures is to just say like, okay, green is going to be Joseph of Egypt. So every time it talks about him, and then it kind of helps your mind wrap around everything that's happening here. Because what he's saying is that um, great promises in verse four were made to Joseph. The Lord made great promises to Joseph about his seed. And interestingly, Lehi and Lehi's Joseph are of Joseph of Egypt's seed. And so is Joseph Smith, a descendant of Joseph of Egypt. And some of you listening might know through your patriarchal blessing that you also are a descendant of Joseph of Egypt also. So you'll find yourself in some of these verses as well. It says, wherefore Joseph, verse five of Egypt, truly saw our day, Lehi speaking, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins or his descendants, the Lord would raise up this righteous branch unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch that would be broken off. Remember, they're kind of broken off and came across the sea. Nevertheless, to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord. That, and why did he do it? Is that, it says that, almost like, and why did he break them off? That the Messiah should be made manifest in the latter days. And, and that truth should be brought out of hidden darkness. And that is such a, I love that line. That it's Joseph of Egypt looking forward to our day and saying um, a, a group of my descendants are going to be broken off so that the Messiah could be manifest in the latter days. And I'll fill in what you're going to find out later through their writings. So Joseph of Egypt is saying, my descendants are going to write about the Messiah and their experiences with him and how he led them through the wilderness and over oceans and through battles and through through family fights and, and all of those things. And they're going to, and, and eventually his appearance to them. And they're going to write about all that. And it's going to come forth in the latter days. And the Messiah is going to be made manifest. And, and I just like that that is still a call or a calling from the Lord to each and every one of us. That we can make the Messiah manifest in our days. It's actually on the Read It, Live It calendar that's the question in the verse that's on there, verse five. Like, what if that was your work in the latter days to make manifest the, the Messiah, his goodness, his character, his heart, um, his, his fill in the blank. And what, what have you thought today? Like, I, I somehow want to make manifest the Messiah to the people around me. Like, do what he would do. Teach people about him, what, whatever it is that what that might look like. And it seems like exciting, um, I don't know, exciting way to like live your life. Yeah, thrilling. Right. So he's going to teach him about this coming forth. And verse seven, hopefully you're following this. It's kind of hard because you're just kind of like. That's why you need the colors for the real. The colors really help out a lot. And because Joseph, it says in verse six of Egypt testified saying a seer and that's Joseph Smith that the Lord's going to raise up a choice seer and he's going and this is some of the things that he's going to do a work for the fruit of thy loins bringing them this is verse 7 to a knowledge of the covenants which I've made to the father and I will give unto him a commandment I will give unto him Joseph Smith a commandment that he shall do none other work save the work that I shall command him I put my scriptures a little like sad face and happy face right there because 
It makes me think sometimes when the Lord calls somebody, it's unexpected. And he calls them to do his work. And I just thought about Joseph Smith. And I was like, did he have other intentions or plans or, or dreams of things that he wanted to do that he set aside, that he, that, he con- that he consecrated his life over to the Lord? And it's something similar, I think, for all of us. That sometimes the Lord calls us and interrupts us out of um, the work we wanted to do. And he says, come be a part of my work. And in the end, there's no disappointment. And this promise, and I will make him great in my eyes, for he shall do my work. And I love thinking that when the Lord calls someone to his work, he says, I'm going to make them great. And he's the reason that um, you're going to find out that later as you read that the people of the latter days are going to esteem this great seer and they're going to look up to him and they're going to admire him. And I, and I just love that in verse nine, it says, or verse eight, the reason you're going to love him and the reason you're going to admire him is because what I'm going to do with him. I'm going to take this regular farm boy and I'm, I'm going to do a marvelous work and a wonder through him. And, and then you'll look at his life and imagine, wow, what can he do with mine? Now, one last thing in this little section I want to point out, and it's, he says, and he will be great like unto Moses, whom I've said I would raise up to deliver my people, O house of Israel. Now, Joseph Smith is going to be compared to two different great biblical prophets in this chapter. And one of them is Moses, and the other one's actually going to be Joseph of Egypt. But right here, he says he is going to be great like Moses. And this might be something, can you click that over, Grace, that you might want to do um, in a discussion or maybe in a class or maybe in your journal as, as you write down like some thoughts about this to pause and think, okay, list some comparisons between Moses and Joseph Smith. How were they really similar with each other? Like God makes that comparison between the two of them. So let's kind of brainstorm a little about that. Um, what do you want to say, Grace? Well, I'm let's even start just, listing some things. I'm initially interested in the fact that both of them were very much rejected. Mm-hmm. They had people that listened, but there was a lot of rejection in their life. Yeah. Um, also, I think I would put up there along those same lines, uh, like self-doubt. Yes, I was going to say that. Insecurity. Oh, yeah. That's a better way to say that. Um, both of them saw God. I think it's cool that Moses describes his experience as a burning bush. And Joseph, in one of the experiences of the first vision, says, I, uh, he writes, a pillar of fire descended and then crossed it out and then puts light after oh. that. But he starts with like saying, I was so surprised that like the trees weren't consumed by fire. But he, he speaks to God and, and, and is uh, commissioned. Both of them were like, I don't know how to spell commission, y'all, but that's just going to be on there. Just like, you know, my own version of that. They, they were both given a call. like, and, it went, and they were in the ordinary of their life, in his backyard, yes. just up where he takes the sheep and he encounters God. And then nothing is the same after that moment. Mm. Right? Um, I like in the verse where it says both of them were given a, um, a commission to deliver. Yes. Um, Moses' people were in actual slavery in chains under the bondage of Pharaoh. And Joseph will get a call to deliver modern day Israel in the sense of show, get, deliver them from darkness, deliver them from ignorance, deliver them from, from the culture of the day and whatever it is. But they both are deliverers. They both experience great miracles in their life as well. And even going back to that verse right above it, when it wants to talk about 
you had to do my work, not yours. Yes. It's so fascinating to me to think, I bet both of them had dreams and other things they wanted to do and both gave up absolutely everything yeah. to do his work. Right, right. So anyways, that list can go on and on and on, but it's just kind of a neat way to explore, you know, that thing that, um, and if you t- look at the timeline for a second, that Joseph will be translating this, right? Writing it out on paper and says he will be like Moses. And this is the beginning days when he writes this down. So a lot of this that happens later when he actually, Zion's camp, when he literally leads people like Moses through the wilderness, when all of those things, you know, that happen, um, that he writes that down with no concept or idea, maybe like, oh, that's actually going to, who would have thought as a 21-year-old if you were like, I'm going to be like Moses or something. You're like, no way. But it's at the end of his life that we can look back. But anyways, it's kind of a cool thing. That and I wonder how do. many times he thought about that throughout the, his whole life. Yeah, yeah. Of like in that moment in the wilderness, if he was like, oh, wait, don't worry. God already planned this. Yeah. He knew I was going to be right. like Moses. Right, Which is so interesting. Um, the next section of reading that we are going to do is 2 Nephi chapter 3, verses 11 through 20. And it really is diving deeper into Joseph Smith's life. And usually for me, when I read the Book of Mormon, I'm reading super specifically the story. That's where my curiosity comes from. That's what I'm trying to unpack and figure out. But I think the second half of chapter three really becomes fascinating to me and so deeply intimate of God when I forget about little baby Joseph and Lehi in that conversation. And I remember Joseph Smith translating because David already just told us in the last segment that this is beginning to talk about him. The seer is actually going to be Joseph Smith. And the more I read it, the more tender it becomes when I think of Joseph translating Mm. and Oliver sitting next to him and what it must have been like to go through this for the first time. And it just makes me think, I wonder when he clued in. (laughs) I wonder when he was like, wait, is this about me? Like, is this my, is he talking about me? And I wonder if like Oliver was like looking over at him and being like, dude, is it like, do you, do you think what I think or? Well, I I mean, I don't want to like, but like verse 15. No, the part about his dad. Yes. Yes. We just have to get there. Okay. So you just have to start. there for a second. So there's this verse, verse 15 and his name shall be called. So his name meaning, oh, go back to the, the I actually have it on the colored thing if you want to see. This It's these verses right here, 14, 15, 16, a little bit above that, all of those things. Because he's going to go through and he's saying, and his name, he's talking about the seer, Joseph Smith, shall be called after me. And the speaker, Joseph, Joseph of, of Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. He's going to have my same name. <laughs> and then all, I wonder if all of a sudden at that point he was like, what's my name? What? He said, yeah. should have the same name. And then this part is when it gets really crazy. And it shall be the name, at, and it shall be after the name of his father. And then all of a sudden, I bet he's like, my dad's name is Joseph. Yeah, like, yeah. Joseph is senior. And then Oliver's like, do you think? And he's like, nah. (laughs) They go back and read. They have to go back and read. And then I think probably they go back and read. And you start going back to like verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. He will bring, and not to the bringing forth of my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word. I wonder if he started thinking, oh, wait, I am bringing forth the word. Yeah. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And then you keep reading, you go like verse 13 and out of weakness, he shall be made strong. Which is the second time that's come up, right? Because in that first section is like, I will make him great. Yes. 
And I wonder, this is so early on in the translation. Mm-hmm. I wonder how needed that promise was. Right. That I wonder how many nights he went to bed and was like, I can't do this. Yeah. I'm not smart enough for this. I didn't go to school for this. Yeah. I am not wise enough to translate that. And then all of a sudden, God had pre-planned promising him that his weaknesses will be made strong. Not even just pre-planned two weeks before he started translating, but pre-planned generations before he was born. Yeah. He said, yeah, don't worry. My eye's been on you since Joseph of Egypt. You weren't my second choice. Mm-hmm. This, is, has, this has been planned for you. Right. You've got this. And in that day when my work shall commence, this is verse 13, among all my people unto the restor- restoring thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. And that's prophesied Joseph. Oh, yeah. I just want to pause for just a second because I'm so intrigued by that restoring ing and i circled ing in my Hmm. we usually talk about the gospel is restored past tense and i just like this emphasis in verse 13 restoring it will be this present progressive this ongoing ing type experience that god's not finished and he's still moving ing and working ing among us current that's current that's now yeah And thus prophesied Joseph, saying, Joseph of Egypt, behold, that seer, Joseph Smith, will the Lord bless, Mm. and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. For this promise which I have obtained of the Lord, of the fruit of my loins, shall be fulfilled. Behold, I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise. Yee, there it is again. That I-N-G. Oh, yeah. Right? Current. That God is currently fulfilling that promise. That you might look at your life and think... He is, he's not keeping his promise. He's not keeping his word. And this verse teaches us, I'm restoring, I'm fulfilling. It's not done yet, but I promise you I'm currently working on it. It's ongoing. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny to me because I know my favorite chapters and I do not want to speak for Joseph Smith. I'm not qualified for that. But I wonder how many times he turned back to this chapter. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of his life, I wonder if he, like, it had to have been creased in his Book of Mormon, the chapter that was made for him. Mm. And my entire life, I just genuinely feel like scriptures were made to be love letters from God, not just to the people who were writing them, but actually to us too. That he says, no, this is my love letter to you. I wrote this for you. And I think that this is evidence of a God who writes love letters and verses and scriptures directly and meant specifically for us. Mm. And I think that this had to have been one of Joseph's favorites. And I think him and Oliver probably couldn't believe when they were writing. And I think his jaw was probably on the ground. And I wonder if he read over it eight times or nine times or 10 times that day and thought, whoa, God didn't just not forget about me, but God has been planning my life. He has been planning to help me, to love me, to make promises, to keep fulfilling those promises before I was even born. Mm. I can do this because God already promised me that I can. Mm. And it's going to end and it goes through and it says in verse 15 at the very end, for the thing, the restoration, we love when it just calls it the The thing. thing. Like it's just like, oh, (laughs) on the grocery list, which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand. The hand of Joseph Smith, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. That's what you're going to do, little Joseph. Writing down wherever you were in that moment, you are going to bring salvation to my people. 
That's what this book is for. It's supposed to introduce you to the one who brings salvation. Hmm. This book is going to introduce you to Jesus, the one who will bring salvation into your story. Yeah. Promised from the very beginning. Yeah. By little Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. And as he keeps writing into this next section, let's go on to this next section, which is just the last couple of verses here. I want to scoot back a little bit from 21. This says it starts in 21, but I want to scoot back to 19 where it says, and the words which he shall write shall be the words which are expedient and my wisdom should go forth unto the fruit of thy loins. And it shall be as if the fruit of thy loins had cried unto them from the dust. For I know their faith. And this is a powerful concept to me that in 19, he says, the words are going to go forth. And just the power of simple words. And the words that um, Lehi wrote in this chapter that he was speaking to his son are words that are going to go forth. And the words that Nephi wrote are words that are going to go forth. And it would be so interesting to track words like you can track packages and see where they went and who they touched and the impact that they made. But this is the promise of the Lord where he says, for I know their faith and they shall cry from the dust, even repentance unto the brethren eat after many generations have gone by and it shall come to pass that their cry will go even according to the simpleness of their words. And he says, I know their faith that they just, God said, put your words out there. Do something about it. And, and you won't know when and you won't know how, but I'm going to take the simpleness of your words and I'm going to do magnificent things with them. Um, Grace was telling me this story a little bit earlier. Tell that story right now, how about, because this is a, just a cool, I think, manifestation of that promise today. So in my seminary class before this Book of Mormon year started, I decided that I wanted to get all of my seminary kids their own Book of Mormon. And I do not have the wealth for that. So I decided to go to the <laughs> DI and I was going to get them used Book of Mormons that they could use instead of whatever I was going to be able to come up with. And so I went to pretty much every single DI that you can ever imagine is within driving distance of my house. And I was just piling as many as I possibly could find. And I would try to choose ones that weren't super worn down. And maybe some of them had a little bit of tenderness or like a little bit of markings, but I wanted to choose ones that I thought kids would really love. And there was one in the DI that had like tape all over the front. And there were, I like picked it up and put it down probably 15 times. And I was like, no one's going to want that. And I was like, but I need a lot. And no one's going to want it, but I'm really needing 150 Book of Mormons. And I don't want to test my luck that I only have 149. And finally, I just put it in and I just went and I checked out. And we started the year and I introduced the idea to my class that, hey, I got you all your very own Book of Mormon. And I told him, I said, listen, these have been well used and well loved. And I want you to choose one that speaks to you, one that feels like your book, one that feels like one that you are just simply attached to. And I was holding up the one that had tape all over the front. I was like, and I was explaining it. And there was this one girl in one of the classes that saw me holding up that one. And she said, from the very beginning, I knew I wanted that one. Right when I saw you lift it up, I just knew that I wanted it. And she grabbed it. And what happened is um, for the rest of the day in that class, I actually had them flip to the very back of the Book of Mormon and I had them write something. And um, they scribbled it down or whatever and I didn't think much of it until this week when we were sharing the tender mercies that we've seen God 
um, do in our lives right now, she raised her hand and she explained, hey, I actually chose that book, the one with the tape on it, and she held it up in her hands. And she said, um, the last year I've really been struggling in my relationship with God. I wasn't sure what it exactly looked like or what I believed, and I've been really trying to figure it out. But you held up this book on the first day, and I knew I wanted that one. So I chose it, and then you had us go right in the very back. And as I flipped to the back, I saw all these random letters written on the back pages. They were actually addressed to a girl with my very same name. And it wasn't me, but as I began to read through the letters, they seemed to be speaking perfectly to me about my doubts and my hesitations and what I wasn't sure of. And she said, I was just trying so hard not to cry in class. I was reading every single letter and I was just trying to keep the tears in my eyes. But I couldn't believe that it seemed like these letters were written just for me. And so I went home and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I wanted more from people that I loved. And so she asked her dad to write one in the back of her Book of Mormon. Mm. And he wrote one for her. And um, later she actually went and she was sitting with her friend in her car. And it was a friend that also had been going through very similar struggles, trying to figure out what they actually believed in, who God really was, all of these things. And her and her friend sat down and they read that letter in the back of that tiny Book of Mormon that somehow ended up in my classroom and who knows where it ended up before that and whose Book of Mormon it was in the very beginning. And they read what her dad had written. And both of those two girls were crying, just sobbing, reading that letter. And who knows what will happen, but also who could have ever imagined what would have happened simply because those people wrote down what they believed. Right. A small act of faith. I know their faith. And these words which they shall write will go forth. And even after many generations, according to the simpleness of their words, they will cry from the dust. And because of their faith, verse 21, their words will proceed forth out of my mouth unto their brethren. And these words will I make strong in their faith. It happened here in 2 Nephi chapter 3 where Joseph of Egypt wrote down the promises of the Lord. And Lehi will encourage his own son with those promises. And later a translator of those words will be encouraged by the encouragement. <laughs> and it continues to move on and on and on. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this and I'll describe. We just kind of wrote out these little ripples from Joseph to Lehi to Joseph of Book of Mormon. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph right? of Lehi. Who encourages Joseph of New York. Who I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Who it finally gets to the writers who are in the back of that book from Di. It makes it to the girl in Grace's. Oh no, no, no! It makes it to a girl who has the same name as a girl in Grace's class, and then to the girl's dad, and then to the girl's friend, and that continues to go on and on and on. And I love in twenty four it says, "And there shall rise up one who shall do much good." It Mm. says in twenty four. Let that be encouraging to everybody who's listening or watching today. That the, that, that the miracle of the loaves and fishes continues today. That the simpleness of your words, God can take them and make them mighty. And it could be said of you that there shall rise up one mighty among them who shall do much good, both in word and in deed, being an instrument in the hands of God with exceeding faith to work mighty wonders. This is a verse I'm going to send Jack on his mission, I've just decided. Mm. 
and do that thing which is great in the sight of God, unto the bringing to pass much restoration. There's a lot of people who need relationships restored, who need faith restored, who need hope restored. And God will continue to rise up one here and one there. And through their faith and the simpleness of their words, God will work mighty miracles of much good. And now it says in 25, Blessed art thou, Joseph. I love how this ends. Thou art little. So hearken unto the words of your brother Nephi. And I just like that a chapter like this ends with this little Joseph. (laughs) Because that is how so many of us feel. Like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm someone who can do much good in this world or be an instrument in the hands of God. And there's an encouragement here at the very end, even to those who feel little. God's going to take those little words and those little ideas and those little deeds, and he's going to multiply them across generations. That's his promise in here. So one of the coolest, I think, um, chapters in the Book of Mormon. Mm, a little ripple effect. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, on to the next section. Now, we're going to cheat a little bit here, y'all. Where am, what's happening? I'm flipping <laughs> it the wrong way. <laughs> okay, we did that one. Oh, what? That last one we did is going to be on Valentine's Day. Everybody, oh. which makes that really, really cool. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just... That just feels right, because it's all just, it just... We don't know. Right, right. Okay, now, this next section, when you get into chapter four... Um, this is going to be Lehi's final blessings and words. So he's spoken to Nephi and to Laman and to Lemuel and to Zoram um, now, and then to Jacob. And now we get these words in chapter three to Joseph. And he's going to, at the very beginning of chapter four, give these one last blessings. Now, on the screen, if you're looking, I, it's, this section is, and on the little calendar, it'll say through 22. But I think you ought to stop at 16. Because the section right after this is going to be what some people call Nephi's psalm. And I think you just want to read Nephi's psalm as one, like in one sitting. So we're going to stop this section a little bit early so that Nephi's psalm could be in one sitting, just so you know. But just here at the very beginning, now it's, um, it's some words to his grandsons and granddaughters. And he says this. Behold, he truly testified, this verse 2, concerning all his seed and the prophecies which he wrote. There are not many greater. And he prophesied concerning us and our future generations, and they're written upon the brass plates. And then calls together all those grandkids and says, verse 4, something he said again and again and again. It's sort of become grandpa's catchphrase. Everyone's grandpa has a catchphrase. (laughs) And Lehi's is, inasmuch as you keep my commandments, you will prosper in the land. And inasmuch as you will not, you shall be cut off from my presence. And then he says this, I can't leave unless I first leave a blessing upon you. And I've actually taken verse five as sort of a a life, uh, uh, what do you say? Just like a mantra, I guess, that any place I go, I think to myself the words of verse five, I can't leave unless I first leave a blessing. Do leave a blessing wherever you go. Every conversation, I don't actually mean leave a blessing. Don't reach out your hands and put your hand. I mean, you can if you want, but you know, like leave a blessing, leave goodness, leave encouragement. Every conversation, every home you go to, every classroom you're in, every shift at work, think to yourself, I can't leave here unless I first leave a blessing on the people that I meet. And I, I 
love that in verse 5. And he promises them what we could promise other people in verse 7. He will be merciful unto you forever. That might be a reminder that people need. But one other reminder that people may need is verse 6 where he says, If you're cursed, behold, I leave my blessing upon you. Um, He brings up at the end of verse 6 that you're experiencing and will probably experience some hardships in your life because of your parents. Talking to the kids of Laman and Lemuel. There are going to be some things that happen that are unfair that are not your fault. And that's true about every single one of us. We all inherit some sort of curse. Either the curse of mortality or the curse of agency or whatever it may be. All of us will inherit something unfair in this world. And verse 6 testifies of a God who compensates. I leave my blessing upon you. That whatever cursing you may have experienced through no fault of your own, Skip ahead to the end of verse 9. He says, in the end, you will be blessed. I'm taking care of this. I'm going to compensate it. This is an ING blessing. It's not yet fulfilled. But my promise to you is that in the end, I will leave you with a blessing. Now, let me set up this next part, which is the psalm. In the next couple verses that come, you're going to find... um, in 11 through 15, that he, that Lehi dies and they will bury him. And then like so many spots in scripture and so many experiences that you may have had to, it is these times when we stand over a grave or we're in the waiting room of a hospital or we uh, get the phone call or the letter in the mail or the email, these things that just Make us come face to face with life and death and future. And you get to see a very close up view of Nephi's heart just dealing with this. Like sometimes tragedy in life makes us think about like my own relationship with God and my own purposes. And and you really get to see that in this next section, which is. It's so um, Yeah. But I think it's important to remember like, okay, what happened right before was like two things. One, you've just lost your father. But number two, a heavy responsibility and calling is now resting on your shoulders. And like any missionary, for example, might testify to that first night in the MTC. You were just like, (laughs) you live out Nephi's psalm (laughs) or a new calling or, you know, a new phase of life. A baby comes home. It's like, woo. It it just opens opens up the whole heart with every emotion in it. So that is where we are going to start. Oh, my heart, we called it. Second Nephi 4. This one, we're actually going to go in reverse than what the reading actually says for the day. And we are going to start in verse 16. And I am a big emotions person. I don't really feel emotions small. And my mom will tell I you thought that you true. were about to say, I don't really feel emotions. Anyway. Like, and I was like... I will now oppose <laughs> what has been spoken as untrue. <laughs> okay. Not even at all. Not even at all. Pretty much the exact opposite. I feel emotions deeply. And so this So this is your jam. Yeah, this speaks to me because And and I said missionaries earlier, but as a missionary, same. Like I I, I really you know, you kind of go through the emotional ringer at different like spots of your life and this might become like the 
the verses you come back to. Especially because for me, I know deeply I feel emotion. I will cry in every single movie. It's just true about me. There is nothing. I don't even know why. It, it could be the happiest movie ever. I'm going to go ahead and cry. And usually for me, I really try to hide my emotions from other people. I will cry in the movie theater, and by the time I stand up, you will there will be no tears on my cheeks. I will be brave, okay? I'm just going to walk out like I didn't even care about anything that just happened, but I did. And it's so interesting to me that I think a lot of people are like that. We try to hide our emotions, and Nephi doesn't right now. Instead, he brings every emotion he's feeling right to God. Yeah. He says, take them. And you start going and he says, listen, behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, which is a crazy beginning for what he just went through. My soul delighteth in the things of the Lord and my heart pondereth continually upon the things that I have seen and heard. Hmm. Processing everything so far. Yep. For sure. That like, whoa, I don't even know what to think right now. Nevertheless, which is an interesting nevertheless, it comes after his soul delighting. He says, I know what it looks like to delight in the Lord. I know what it looks like to rejoice and have joy. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth. That's so fascinating to me that he says, listen, I'm not taking away from God's goodness. I'm not taking away from the fact that I do know how to rejoice and I love what God's doing. I actually just love God. I know that. That's where I want to start. But just so you know, what my heart is saying right now is, oh, wretched man that I am, my heart sorrows because of my flesh. My soul grieves because of my iniquities. I know God's really good and I know I'm a mess. And even just on the, in the margin of my scriptures right there, I wrote, we are loved by someone insanely out of our league. Mm. We are wretched men and we sorrow and our soul grieves because of our iniquities and we are a mess, but we do get to believe in a God of great goodness. Yeah. That's crazy that someone like that loves someone like me. And it causes a stir in the soul. It causes like a rift of just, God is so good and you're so consistent and you keep showing up and I'm not responding to the level of your love and it causes a, you shouldn't love me anymore. I should, you know, and I'm you're just, on. yes, and I'm you're just mess. feeling it in, in Nephi. He was like, putting your love up against my response to it is just causing me turmoil. It's not working out. This isn't matching. Yeah. He says, I am encompassed about of the temptations and the sins which so easily beset me. I fall apart all the time. I'm living in sin. I'm a sinner. It's just true. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. I don't even feel worthy to be happy because I know that I am such a mess. Nevertheless. And whose heart hasn't grown? This is, I think everybody listening, watching, and then later reading this is, you're going to say, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know? Yep. Okay. Sorry. I interrupted your No, no, no. And it was so good. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. This is when it changes in these verses. He said, I know who I am and I'm a mess and I'm a disaster and I should not be loved by someone as good as you, but I know who you are. 
My God has been my support. He has led me through my afflictions in the wilderness and he has preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. At this point, verse 20, what I started doing in my scriptures is I actually started highlighting everything I learned about God right now. Mm -hmm. Every time it says my God or he hath, I'm, I like circled it a hundred million times in my scriptures because all of a sudden he's going to introduce you to the God that he knows. Mm -hmm. This is Nephi's God, the one that supports him, the one that walks him through his afflictions, the one that preserves him in the great deep, the one that fills him with love. Even, oh, just highlight this whole entire verse a hundred million times, 21. Even unto the consuming of my flesh, I am consumed in love by him. He hath confounded mine enemies unto the causing of them to quake before me. He hath heard my cry by day, and he hath given me knowledge by visions in the nighttime. He is with me in the morning. He is with me in the evening. There is not a second of time that he is not my God, that he is not right next to me. By day I have waxed bold and mighty prayer before him, and my voice had said, I send up on high, and angels came down and ministered unto me. Mm. When he wasn't there for me, he sent angels. He is always there. You go through, you just want to just mark every single thing that you learn in this because he's going to tell you everything he knows about God. He's going to walk you through his story, but rather than the words of him and the stories that he's going to tell, he's going to use who he met in those stories. This is the God I've known from page one of this book to page 64. This is what I've learned about God. That's my story. It's his. That's what I want to write down. And he goes through and he is so honest and he is so vulnerable. And he says, listen, why should my heart weep and so linger in the valley of sorrow and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of my afflictions? Why, why, why? He's going to go through all of these things, which is so real that he says, I am not in a place to worship. And then he starts describing the God he knows. And then he says, wait a minute, why shouldn't I? Why should I be so sad? Why should I be when I have that type of God? And in verse 28, it changes. Awake my soul. I don't have to droop in sin anymore. Rejoice. I'm not giving room for the enemy in my heart anymore. Which, which this almost becomes like a pattern that we can follow as well. Or we're just like, if you find yourself so too focused on your afflictions or too focused on your weaknesses or shortcomings, move your view to the victory and goodness of God. Take it off of your own life and put it onto his goodness and his heart. Because if he's been that faithful, why is he going to abandon you now? It just, it, you see the same switch actually in the book of Lamentations. Hmm. It's a book of someone like lamenting over like the afflictions and sorrows of life and their own choices. And then they switch and the switch that tur the turning point is look at how good he's been. Watch for, count out, list, remember the tender mercies of God. And the moments of deep sadness can really teach you and remind you who God is. Yeah. That's it's where, where your he, heart can go. Right. Look at, look at where he learned about him. Let's just do it. Yeah. I learned about him in the wilderness. I learned about him in the afflictions. I learned about him in the great deep. I learned about him in the time of quaking. I learned about him in the time I cried. I it, learned with about his enemies? him in, yeah, in the presence of enemies. And I learned about him in the night. Those situations became the backdrop 
for his relationship with God. That's where I learned about him best. And now he can count them as blessings. And it's almost like that reminded him, I can do that right now too. Yeah, this is this another can turn into great one of deep. those moments. I'm in a great deep. I'm in a wilderness again. Mm -hmm. And he just needed to remember. Mm. And he goes through and he actually finishes with a little prayer. And he says, God, will you, will you, will you? And he makes a list of all these things like, God, please, can you do this for me? And by the time you read this, for me at least, I can't help but want to make a psalm of my own. Yeah. A prayer of my own. And maybe that's what you want to do when you study this chapter, when you read it with your classes, when you're teaching your families. Maybe you want to just take a minute and all sit down and write. He gives you a pattern. Yeah, I was just kind of like making the pattern. Do you have one? Well, you I, can say yours. Yeah. No. I, well, I was just like, oh, how could we make this really simple for people in making? I think the first one would be pour out. Where are you at in your relationship with God right and now? And life. You know, just yeah. pour, pour out your sorrows. Mm -hmm. Pour out your hardships. You don't have to hide them from him. It's not a complaint. God invites us to pour out our hearts unto him in prayer. So begin with a pouring out of the things you struggle with, the things you're afraid of, the things you wish for, the things you've been denied, the things you're still waiting on. Pour out all of those things first. Then make a he hath list. Second. Mm. That's what I would say the second part. Pour out yep. first. He hath second. Look back, count up the tender mercies, count up his strength. Remember the times he's shown up. See how his grace has been an actual and legitimate part of your story. And then third, um, rejoice. And then what were the, the phrase? Oh, wilt thou? Yeah. Rejoice, right? Would and be, now what? And now wilt thou? Now write, now write your petitions. Invite him into your story again. Yeah, right. Tell him what Please. you're seeking for, one. So that might be a great pattern for writing your own psalm, right? Pour out your he hath list. Like, where have you seen him? Rejoice and then wilt thou mm. your petitions. And he ends in the same way he began in verse 34. Oh, Lord, I have trusted in thee. I trusted in you then, and I will trust in you forever. For all the moments I talked about before, and all the moments that are surely to come, I will trust someone like you. I was in testimony meeting this month at church, and everyone was getting up, and one of the people that got up, I think very second, was someone that I didn't know, and he stood up and he said, I haven't gone to church in a really, really long time. And a couple weeks ago, I was digging through my desk and I accidentally stumbled upon my patriarchal blessing. And I hadn't even remembered my patriarchal blessing or anything it said, and so I thought it was funny to read through it. And as I read through it, it didn't feel funny anymore because it felt like maybe I was a disappointment. And it's interesting because now that I'm thinking about this story right now, it's almost like he spoke his own psalm at the pulpit. Hmm. And he said, I realized I had disappointed God. And I missed all these opportunities and I was feeling sick about it. And I was so, so sad going to bed that I had destroyed my relationship with God. 
And then at 3.30 in the morning, he heard his puppy whimpering downstairs. And he, like, tried to sleep through it. And then the puppy started barking, and he realized he couldn't sleep through it anymore. And so he walked downstairs, and he was so angry because it was 3.30 in the morning, and he was so <laughs> tired. And he had just got this puppy, like, the week before. So it wasn't even like they had all these, like, tender moments at the park to make up for the fact that he had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning for the puppy. And he goes down, and as he's walking down the stairs, he can smell that, obviously, the puppy went to the bathroom in the crate and it was not a, like it was like bad and he was like oh no and he walked over to the crate and he looked in and there was just crap all <laughs> over the floor of the crate and all along the walls and it was just everywhere a disaster and he opened the door and he thought he was going to be so mad and then he saw his puppy's eyes in the corner of a puppy that knew something was wrong that knew he messed up a puppy knew, the puppy that knew he was covered in absolute mess. And he said, I was not mad at that puppy. I actually had never loved him more. And I picked him up and my hands got all dirty and I walked into the sink and I started spraying him off in the sink. And then I just let that puppy just sit in my arms for a second. And they put him on the ground and I went to go get the crate and the puppy was running around my feet and I didn't even remember that it was 3.30 in the morning or that I was halfway through sleeping or that the puppy had just crapped in the crate. I actually just cleaned the crate out and I was happy to do it. And I took care of the mess and then I put the crate back in the corner of the kitchen and I kissed that little puppy goodnight and I put the puppy back in the crate and I walked upstairs. And I realized that I, he said this, this is a direct quote from the pulpit just so you know. He said, I realized I crap the crate all the time in my relationship with God. And that I screw up and I make a big mess of things. But the God I believe in doesn't look at me with anger and he's not going to scream in my face. He opens up the crate and says, listen, let me clean you off. Let me remind you who I am. I am good and I am kind. And I will wake up at 3.30 in the morning for you and I will not forget about you. That was a psalm spoken on the pulpit from a boy that realized he had trusted in God before and he will trust in God forever. It sounds a lot like Nephi to me, which makes me feel like we all can write those stories too. Yeah. And trust in him yesterday and trust in him today and trust in him forever. Right, right. Um, I think it's really powerful to, like, for, to read somebody's open heart or to hear somebody's open heart because then it just encourages you to believe in those things and to pour out yourself and to petition to God and to just do that for your own self. Like that, you could even take these verses if I were teaching a class and just say, fi find your line. Like there's a line mm. in here that's going to speak your story and speak your heart for you. And you can pray um, words of scripture if you can't find your own words to pray. Borrow some of Nephi's and, you know, and, and pray them as, as if they were your own. It's just a, this is a beautiful golden piece of scripture right here. And it is interesting that it, that it's a, it's a tragedy that triggers this. And such is life that sometimes tragedy triggers, uh, the most beautiful feelings and reconciliation and, and, uh, restoration. So how God can take something tragic and, uh, and turn it into a situation for good. He did it on the cross. He did it on the Easter tomb. And uh, he's still doing it in our lives today. And I love that. That's almost how the next chapter starts anyways. And the next chapter we're just calling happy. 
and a second Nephi 5. Yeah, this and, is both of them. Both of them together for the weekend. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the weekend chapter reading. Five. And this... Oh, look at this one. Oh, what? Both of these are so good. And we're going to do both of them, I realize. I'll okay. Think. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> this one says that, which we're going to teach. Oh, okay, yeah. you guys, I okay. can't tell you because it's going to give it away. Okay. It's going to be so good. So um, <laughs> here's the thing. It starts out, this is right after all of these boys' dad just died, which you need to remember it really did start in a tragedy. And he goes through, and the boys, the brothers, Laman and Lemuel, are so angry. And they look at Nephi, and verse number two, you can tell, their anger did increase against me insomuch that they did seek to take away my life. They were not a little bit angry. They were deeply angry, which just like a little tiny pause is, it's interesting that I think grief can go one of two ways. And I think we see two different responses Mm -hmm. in chapter four compared to chapter five, which I think you could do a deep study on. We don't have time because we have to be a little bit quick. So just think about that in the back of your head if you're intrigued by it. And you should study that because it could be really powerful. But what happens in verse number three is that they get so mad. Our little brother thinks he's better than us. And we have so many trials because of him. He's the problem. The reason our life is hard is because of him. And we actually wouldn't really be afflicted if it weren't for him. We are just getting wrecked because of him. Mm. And which is intrigue, which is making me think for just a second. I know we don't want to go down too far on this road, but just this idea of sometimes when tragedy or hardship or unfairness happens, we're we're just we want to shift the blame to something instead of petitioning for for help. Mm. And they're and they're shifting the blame to Nephi, and they're shifting the blame to God. And it's just like no, no, no. Listen. They're not the enemy. Death is the enemy. Sadness is the enemy here. Tragedy is the enemy. Not them. You missed it. Yeah. And if we'll realize that just like, wait, they're just life is hard. Instead of trying to point the finger of why it shouldn't be, just like, well, it is what it is. Now what should I do about that? Who should I turn to then? Instead of turning someone, instead of turning to someone to blame, turn to someone for help. And that's maybe the difference between those two brothers. Mm, beautiful. And in verse number five, God's going to warn him. The Lord did warn me that I, Nephi, should depart from them and flee into the wilderness and all those who would go with me. This is a time of splitting up. And it's fascinating to me because I think it's really easy to look at that and know the rest of the story of the Book of Mormon and think that it was probably easy. And oh yeah, well, his brothers wanted to kill him, so it must have been easy to walk away. But I can't imagine that after losing your dad, it would be easy to walk away from the only other family you had. Mm-hmm. This would have been a probably very tragic day in the life of Nephi. And they walk away, and I'm going to skip to the ending at the same time because I think it's powerful to go to the ending and then come back and look at everything. Because it ends, they leave, they go away, they start building this life for themselves. And in verse 27, we realize and we hear what this life really is. And it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. That's That's what their their life life became. And we're going to go through the chapter, but I think it's best to do it with the worksheet. So we're just going to skip to that. Um, I think it's so interesting to start at the end, verse 27, and say, he is going to describe to you in the beginning of chapter 5 what it looks like to live after the manner of happiness. And the worksheet is my favorite worksheet of all time in the history of ever. So no matter what you have to have, the worksheet is so cute. It has little frames all over the entire thing. And I made David. David almost wrote, and then I said, David, no, you have to draw because they're picture (laughs) frames. You have to put pictures in the picture frames, okay? So 
You can either take this worksheet and what you're going to use it for is you're going to fill it out with patterns of happiness that you find from Nephite. You could just search through these verses and like, okay, what patterns of happiness do I do? You could be lame and write the actual words in there, <laughs> the patterns of happiness, or because they're picture frames, you can draw an actual picture. But I just think this is a great place. And even if you don't use that worksheet, this is a, um, this is a great spot in, in your journal, in your scriptures to write down um, what are the patterns of happiness that I learned from Nephi's family? And this chapter is really interesting to me because when I think of happiness, I pretty much don't think of anything of the things that it describes that his life is. Yeah, which is really cool. Yes. Because like you could say, you could start off by saying, what does a happy life look like? And you might be tempted to say some of the things that were just like, yeah, that bring like, oh yeah, that, that's really fun. That's really cool. That's really comfortable. But I was um, talking with Stefan on the, the revival podcast the, um, the other day where he was just talking about the secret to a happy life is not chasing happiness, but it's to chase meaning and value to live a value filled life hmm. and a purpose filled life. And happiness is the byproduct. But if happiness is like your end goal, he's like, you might miss it because you're going to be looking for what's the easy way to get it. What's the comfortable way to get it instead of, you know, follow values and follow purpose and follow, you know, what's, and then happiness becomes kind of the byproduct of it. Well, especially with that definition of happiness, the first one that we thought of was him leaving his family. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not usually something fun. That's not something like you would put on a list of how do you have a happy life? Like that's not the first thing yeah. that comes to break, my mind. You know, break away from people. There's even a question in the journal where we talk yeah. about that, where it's like, sometimes the Lord asks us to walk away from situations that have the potential to destroy us. Has there ever been a time you've had to walk away from a situation, a person, a relationship, some sort of... And Jesus, I was thinking as you were talking about initially, Jesus compares it to like cutting off your arm, cutting out your eye, right? Like those yeah. are the, that's the analogy that he gives. Like to walk away from another person is sometimes going to be as painful as like removing a limb from you. But it, but it becomes a pattern of happiness because there really are some if a cancer's growing in it, if, if, if it's a cause of great harm and distress, like the pain of walking away is, is actually going to lead to greater happiness in the end. And I love, maybe that's the promise you need right now, that walking away could lead to a life living after the manner of happiness. Yeah, yeah. But you it's can tough. hang on to that. It's tough. tough. So tough, for it's sure. It's tough to cut out music. It's tough to cut out kinds of language or but to, but to have to cut off certain, you know, people that are, that are bad influences um, or unsafe or unhappy for, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, so yeah. it's funny. Number one. Yeah. It's like walking Leave. away from people. Yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> but just go through this entire chapter. We have a few examples by like verse number six. We have um, go with all the people who will go with you. Those who believe in the warnings and the revelations of God. Living after the manner of happiness is surrounding yourself in a group of believers. Yeah, it's a community of belief, a mm -hmm. community of faith. Yes. 
Um, verse number nine. Hearts, yeah. Let's know. Verse nine. These pictures. This is kind of a game for you. You could try to guess what these all are. Verse number nine. Find yourself a mentor. They called themselves the people of Nephi. Find someone to guide you. Maybe that's something you need. We have the commandments. I would say somebody who's happy too. Right? Yeah. Like look at somebody if you're just like you seem to be living after the manner of happiness. Let me follow that. Yeah. Teach mm. me something. Where Where are you at? How, how and Nephi was good at how? that. If you don't have someone, study the book of Nephi until you get it because he can he's be your mentor. so good at it. Yeah. He's yeah. so good at it. Verse number 13, multiply. <laughs> I love that picture. It's the best picture on the whole entire Which thing. Which one? Oh, yeah. The X. Well, I like, that. I like the idea of multiply. Like It's just as an encouragement mm-hmm. of like, do something. Uh, Christian and I were listening to a song the other day, and it, it had a line in it about, you know... Um, I can't remember, but I'm going to tell you what the conclusion was. I was trying to remember what the line actually was, but then I do remember the conversation. But sometimes we talk a lot about just say, oh, there are only certain things that you can take with you when you go, right? You can yeah. take your relationships. You can take the things that you've learned. You can take all these things with you when you go. But I listened to it and I was like, oh, that's kind of nice, but I am less interested in what I get to take with me when I go and more interested in what am I going to leave behind? Did you multiply? Were you a person of abundance? Did you do good? Did you plant seeds? Did you, did you step outside of your comfort zone and, and create those ripple effects? I just, that's what that one means to me. To live after the manner of happiness is, is to like do something that, that's going to, you know, make the world a better place essentially. Well, and what happens next is it's going to describe that these people became builders, like for real builders with like wood and iron and copper and brass and steel and gold and silver. This is in 15 and precious ores. Like they really did become builders and they built a temple and it's so cute because Nephi is like, it's like Solomon's temple, but a little worse, but still like Solomon's (laughs) temple. Like that is so cute. But they go through and they... But let's talk about building for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to keep going there or were you coming back? Well, no, back I'll around? go to the next verse after, but stay there. Oh, I think we want, because that's the thing on here that I got so excited about. Yeah, it's it so good. Says, I was going to say verse 17, but do that because it's going to work better for the build. Because oh, yeah. Because that's the labor with their hands. Oh, okay. Is that what you're going to do? Is that where you're going to no, go? go? Because you No, no, I like it. Um, add it and then we'll come back to it. Because they are going to go through and it describes a people that works with their hands. And they really do become physical builders. But there's something so powerful to me about becoming someone who builds, Mm. who builds people, who builds things that last, who cares and uses precious things to build something that stands. Mm. And that to me is living after the manner of happiness. And building is not easy. Anyone that has ever done any construction in their life, and I will not even pretend like to put myself in that, like I've built like tiny things and like mixed concrete for like two weeks. I'm like, that's my, and I like could barely survive that. I'm not a builder. It's hard to build things and it's especially hard to build things that last. But I think that's where they found their happiness Mm. was dedicating their lives to build things that lasted. Temples, relationships, beliefs, building. Just the idea of like that Stefan was teaching about live and like, have a purpose that you're building and sacrificing for mm. and, and, and wanting. And I do love in 15, I've just noticed this where he says, and they began to build and work in all manner of, and then it's wood or iron, copper, brass, steel, gold, silver, precious ores, that your specialty is going to be in, in 
this or that, or it's going to be online, or it's going to be in music, or it's going to be in compliment giving, or it's going to be in quiet service, or it's going to be that there are so many opportunities at our disposal to build. And there are so many resources that we've been given to build. I can, I can remember this one time Jenny was trying to um, do something really kind for somebody in our neighborhood who was experiencing uh, something. I can't remember what the details were, but I do remember that she hopped on their Pinterest boards and started to look for the things that they liked so that she knew what she could take over to their house to give them. And that's what I think it means. Like there's so many oh. opportunities. It says at the very end of 15, in great abundance. The opportunities to build are in great abundance. The resources to build and to be a builder are in great abundance. We have it at our disposal. It's in your house right now. It's in your car right now. It's in your mind. It's in your heart right now. Everything you need to be a builder is right at your fingertips is what this is saying to me. Mm. And he's like, no, no, no. It's just, we built the, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But, But... That's the manner of happiness. This entire chapter is going to teach it. And that's the tender mercy and the word of the week is happiness. And I love that in a moment, directly after one of the hardest moments of Nephi's life, the next chapter is a chapter on happiness. Yeah. We found it. God's mercy was showing up in happiness. Yeah. And this poster is going to be your favorite. David, you love it extra the most. There is this part. Let's just say that. Let's put this on first before we do that. Y'all, if you're first here today and you don't know this, you can find this download in your newsletters. And we're just keeping track of one tender mercy per week. But hopefully you heard at the beginning that we one is not good enough, but at least you know, <laughs> one to keep one track picture. of. And you can talk about, right? That one of the things, one of the tender mercies of God is that he teaches us patterns of happiness. That there are a lot of people in this world who are seeking to live a fulfilling life. Like they're just, I want to live after the manner of happiness. I would like to leave a legacy. I want... It's in my soul to want to do that, but how do I do it? Because I'm being taught everywhere and online all the different ways to live the good life. So what's actually the one that works? And which one will stand the test of time? Which one can I plant the seed and it will grow what I'm, you know, what is it? And God in his mercy and goodness has provided us the patterns of happiness. I'll tell you, some might be surprising, but live them out. See if they don't work, and um, and and that's one of his tender mercies to us is to is to do that. So then your poster for the week that you can hang up and and talk about is it's happiness and it's that verse living after the manner of happiness, the eighteen twenty eight dictionary here. Look at this definition. It's about to win you. Springs from the enjoyment of good, <laughs> right? To enjoy that which is good, it will come out of enjoying those things which are good. And it's um, indefinite degrees of increase in enjoyment. I love that word, indefinite and degrees, right? Not every day will feel like the 4th of July, but there are indefinite ways to experience it and indefinite ways to to build it. And um, that increase, it's that multiplying. Fortuitous elegance, that just was for the Queen of England that we put that on there. Who is this guy Webster, by the way? He's the smartest person in the world. For real. And then my very last favorite one is unstudied grace. It just, it will come. It just comes as a, as a gift from, as a gift from God, right? Like we might say it's my right to, to be happy. Um, and I think it's actually a gift 
to experience happiness. It's a gift from God. And that might be a pattern of happiness in and of itself to recognize and realize where happiness comes from and who's the, you know, the creator of it and, and who's the, the teacher of it and who's the supplier, you know, of that happiness. And I just think grace is an undeserved gift from, from God and, and unstudied. It just, to me, it's just like, you could be trying super particular, but it's just like, it will just, it will just happen. happen. It just happens, which is awesome to, to think about and to feel like you can live in, in that kind of unstudied grace. So, so shouldn't we all yeah. live in the manner of happiness? Right. Unstudied grace yes. might come in surprising ways. Yeah. But it will be good. Yeah. Right. That's one thing we can be sure of. Like Nephi said, I trust you. Yeah. Right. I, that's one thing I've learned is that I can trust to look to you for, to be my guiding star, to be my redeemer, my restorer, to fulfill promises and, and to, and to be the source of, of my happiness. So, okay, y'all. So do you love this? These are so good. I know they're so good. It's <laughs> okay. all so good. Yeah. More good next time. Okay. See ya. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.